0: Hello, my name's Sam Brakegear and welcome to Brains Spike Back. We are the podcast that looks at everything related to psychology and technology. VR is becoming increasingly present in our everyday lives and if you're unaware of this prevalence then you probably haven't seen the hilarious videos of people trying to use VR in their homes only for it to end terribly. And if you haven't checked them out already, go check them out now. From training to video games, VR has a huge amount of potential to change the lives of many individuals, often in ways you may never expect. To discuss the potential of this technology, I'm joined by a respected digital thought leader in the Australian VR community, who is the founder and CEO of Start VR, an interactive cinematic virtual reality content studio based out of Sydney, Kane Tietzel. And for our weird wide web feature, we have a study from Microsoft that claims teens say parents share too much about them online. What is this world coming to Disclosure. This episode includes a client of an Espacio portfolio company. Usually I do the calls on Friday in the morning when I'm fresh. I suppose it's usually just works as well because a lot of our, our guests are from the US. But today was the first time in, uh, as far as I can remember, where I uh, we did one in the evening. We actually just had an office meeting and the office meeting finished and they brought out beers and everything. And I'm not a big drinker, but a thought did pass my mind thinking, I wonder what I'd be like as a host if I just had a few, <laughs> like, a few like three or four and just see, I'm like, and they just quit. Like, All right, Kane, how's it going? <laughs> just,
1: oh, that's fantastic. I mean, kick, stick it back with um, Sammy G, you know, feel <laughs> it more like a conversational beer.
0: Yeah, definitely. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do one of those shows. Or I feel like I'd have to tell the guests beforehand like I'm going to be drinking, you might want to be too, rather than just like springing it on them. Yeah, yeah. Before um before we get into like uh the wonderful world of VR, would you be able to explain for our listeners um your background in this industry and what you do?
1: Sure. I guess I've always been working across the forms of broadcast media and interactive media for the past 20 or so years. Since I first got an email address, you know, working in Channel 4 and Film 4 in the UK and working on TV shows here in Australia, but also working very much on in online media, instructional e-learning and sort of merging the best of interactive and storytelling together. That's, that's always where I've been working and um, I like to stay on the cusp of where things are new and interesting. So, VR is always going to be uh, where I ended up.
0: When, what first got you into VR though? What made you say like, wow, this, this technology, I want to get into this or this is yeah, this is for me?
1: Yeah, I first experienced it when it first came out 20-odd years ago around the lawnmower man days. Uh, and I remember putting it on as a kid and just spatially getting the space very, very quickly. And obviously, then then it all disappeared for a while. It was about, I think it was the end of 2014 when I tried the Samsung Gear VR at a meetup uh, just before Christmas. I put it on my head, and I just knew right there and then in that moment that the technology was ready, that this was going to change everything, and I you know, pretty much started the company that night or started a to blog about VR at that night, and um, yeah, it just took it from there. Quit everything else I was doing, and did everything I could to start the business.
0: Awesome. And would you be
1: able to tell us about that uh, start VR? Yeah, sure. Uh, start VR. I guess we're uh, a start off as a as a group of filmmakers and game makers and philosophers and instructional designers. We, we kind of built a commercial business very early on. You know, Qantas was one of our very first clients, and that's a very large airline. And from there, we built out a large platform and 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 developed a strong commercial uh, side to our business. At the same time, we were really trying to push a new type of visual storytelling, which we call interactive cinematic VR. And we produced, uh, we have produced, I guess, four unique interactive VR entertainment pieces and released them in the store, and they've all received uh, a lot of critical acclaim over the years. And that's kind of what we've built our reputation as being, is creating these really highly cinematic and interactive environments where it feels real, you get to participate in the scene and shape the outcome, and as well as being told an amazing story that really immerses you in,
0: in a different universe. I'm personally a film buff, so I cannot wait until like this technology is fused with my love of film, so that I can be immersed in in these kind of environments. So I absolutely love what you're doing. So I can't I can't wait for that to happen. When do you think? Like out of curiosity, when do you think like we can expect to see like a more immersive films and um, VR being used in a a more day to day lives when it comes to films?
1: Well, I think it's a brand new format, so we have to stop the way we think of... We have to change the way we think of films or or linear content uh, and have to think about how... VR enables us to shape our own destiny and shape the outcome. So it's also a different level of immersion and how we frame things and and how we can visually tell that story. So there's a whole new language in a way we have to develop that. And that's a lot of the work that we're doing in that area is to try and shape that new format. So in regards to that, it's going to take a while for that format to develop over time. At the same time, we're still waiting for, I guess, the consumer adoption of these headsets to be prolific so that there is an industry uh, where people can make money from producing this type of content. So it's still very experimental at the moment, but what we're seeing is the production values and the ability to tell great stories is improving dramatically just even over the past couple of years. So it might be, you know, I imagine within the next five years, we might start seeing a Netflix of VR uh, and people engage in content in that manner.
0: That'd be awesome. I have only used Oculus Rift once I was in my old job where they came in and trialed it out and that was like four years ago or something like that i I can't remember and it was it was quite impressive That's still (laughs) to this date really as far as i remember my only experience with vr but i do remember it being like um quite uh, (laughs) i know i need to get get up to date, especially given my job (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you think that like i remember it being quite clunky the headset or like heavy do you think that that like impedes on its like popularity the fact that it's still quite big will we get like in five years time when you see this netflix like potential of VR do you think that it will be a much smaller slimmer version almost like close to sunglasses or will that never like really be a possibility
1: no absolutely it really will, and it already is moving in this direction. So, VR, I guess we're in the second generation now, I guess, in regards to headsets. What you tried four years ago was really the very start of mm-hmm. this reboot, I guess, of the industry. And, you know, I still liken where we are now as being in the boombox area of portable audio. So, you, you never would have guessed in the 80s that walking around with a boombox on your shoulder would equate to, you know, the streaming services and the ubiquity of always on content consumption being everywhere. So, we're in the second generation of VR hardware, it's already lighter. With things like the Oculus Quest, we're really now meeting that sweet spot between a portable experience with great resolution that is also untethered from the computer and the PC that can be used in any environment. So, you know, this as a next genre of portable headsets is only going to get smaller, lighter, faster. And as the rollout of things like 5G starts becoming more prevalent as well, then we can start putting a lot of that processing in the cloud and you know, streaming the experience in real time to the headset, which means that reduces weight, can spend more time on the, the optics uh, and, and battery power. And with things like the Oculus Quest, we've also got uh, hand tracking, so we won't need controllers in our hands. You know, it'll be able to detect what our fingers are doing in front of us. So it's already getting lighter, better, faster, stronger, even right now in 2019.
0: That oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing that evolution. I know that um, you focus on like um, immersive experiences, like you mentioned before, but you also do training, right? For a number of areas, is that correct? Or?
1: Yeah. So we, we've built up a very strong, I guess, business, commercial, enterprise side of our business. Traditionally, that has been in the area of event activations or marketing communications, producing marketing apps or you know, marketing like experiences. And what we're really seeing is that the area of learning and development, training and education, using immersive technologies, has really developed quite strongly certainly over the past 12 to 18 months. What we're finding is that we have kind of two parts to our business. There's the platform side or the products that we offer and these are solutions that any type of business can tap into for delivering immersive learning experiences. And then we have a content studio that's able to make the content that fits into these products. So the two things work very closely together to create something that is effectively almost like an off-the-shelf enterprise tool for businesses to deliver their own types of training. So the scale and types of training, Training is very varied. I mean, we can have anything from soft skills like orientation and workplace harassment to very specific skills where we may need to understand how to operate a specific piece of machinery. There's safety and emergency procedures. We also released a, a product very recently for St. John's Ambulance Victoria where they're now delivering first aid CPR training via VR as well as in a practical scenario. And that is slashed you know, training time by up to three times, from a two-day course to a one-day course, but it's also portable. So people who work in childcare centres where it's hard to get away from the day can now get that training on the spot and receive their certification within one hour. So this is not just experimental. This is a commercial rollout of VRS's solution to increase productivity, increase training, save costs, save times, but more importantly, save lives. So we do a a range of different training type solutions across the full spectrum of learning and development.
0: I I think I heard about the the St. John's ambulance or I've heard about something like that in the past with the virtual reality training. But the one thing that really stuck out for me, one thing which, I really remember stuck with me was I saw a Vice video that showed inmates using virtual reality to do everyday normal chores to reclimatize to the outside world. And it was like simple, like it was very basic graphics of them literally just doing laundry. So like just the simple process of doing laundry with a bulky headset. And I thought that was incredible. I never would have thought about that. I never would have thought one, they'd need to learn how to do laundry. That obviously skipped my mind. And two, the fact that like, it doesn't matter if the graphics are basic, or it doesn't really matter how realistic it looks. But just for them to be able to go through this process and train that process, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, there's a certain, I guess, you know, elasticity that happens with the brain that it is very re- highly receptive to new forms of input. And that then leads to a, a deeper impression that leaves on the memory and, and a greater sense of recall. So when you put the headset on, the brain has gone from oh, this is not the environment I was in. And it needs goes into a bit of a sort of fight or flight type uh, scenario where it starts to absorb all that information far more rapidly and create stronger neural pathways because it doesn't know what to do with that information yet. Should I run? Should I go? And as a result, that creates really highly memorable experiences, which lead to more effective recall. So even if it's an inmate or a child or a student trying to understand their new environment, their ability to recall is greatly increased because their brain has absorbed that information much more quickly. So yeah, it's it's quite incredible what the technology is going to enable us to do. And it doesn't matter whether it's low quality or high quality, the ability to create a simulation that reflects the real world means it's highly believable. Obviously, being able to master skills in this type of environment means it's going to create for perfection and, and a more enabled workforce to sort of go back into society. Yeah, and that level of interaction also increases that retention as well. So the more you can interact with the environment, the more your brain believes that it's it's real, and therefore makes it makes it stick.
0: From a theoretical standpoint, or even in the work that you're doing, how could VR help train children with autism?
1: Yeah, we've been working with a client very recently that's built out a pilot program and is now uh, releasing this as a tool to therapists. And originally, they've been uh, working with students uh, dealing with ASD. And you know, what they found was that it was very difficult to create these environments and scenarios. They had to ask the students to imagine these scenarios and what would actually happen. So they had a film a background in filmmaking, so they wanted to blend those two things together and create a tool that will enable sort of young adults who, who do have ASD to go through some very complex Complex uh, and difficult social situations and provide them with the skills to be able to sort of handle the outcome. So in these scenarios, they're presented with difficult scenarios like dealing with flirting, conversations around sport, uh, what happens if someone's doing drugs in front of you, how do you deal with these types of scenarios? So there's it's a very interesting sort of scaffolding process where they've got to go through these different processes first to help them guide them through, and they're given multiple choices to you know, conversation points to choose how they respond in these different situations, and and that feedback is given to them in real time. And as a result of the initial pilot programs, is, is some of these young adults have gone off to university and in their first week their attitudes and their language and their behavior has changed dramatically based on, on this type of learning. So the therapists now have an amazing tool that they can use to have conversations, to see how their patients are interacting with these types of really realistic environments and create that conversation as well as record these situations or scenarios for playback later on. And it's proven to be a really highly effective tool to help place these young adults in awkward, complex social situations and feel safe from trying and failing to get it right before they then go back out into the real world.
0: Yeah, it seems like the the potential here is unlimited. There's literally any kind of environment which you can create and then train yourself, perhaps immerse yourself in and just become more accustomed to absolutely there was i was like trying to think of the most obscure kind of training courses that you could do and there was one that came to mind so i'm based in medellin in colombia and we have recently had a little bit of controversy here regarding like pickup artists so there's like one in particular that advertised about picking up colombian women it was talking about how like practicing on women here in colombia but i suppose if this virtual reality came out then they would probably go crazy for this, the ability to like practice picking up girls in virtual reality. But I can imagine if someone like a guy was afraid of like speaking with women, they had genuinely very like authentic intentions of wanting to find a girlfriend, wanting to find a wife, but they were just nervous talking to women. I can imagine that it would be really sweet to be able to set up a training course and be like, right, you're going to go talk to virtual girls and have virtual conversations with them. So you're not so afraid of afraid of them. Do you think anything like that will happen?
1: Well, there's already uh, companies that are offering the service of helping people with public speaking. That's probably the, the easiest entry point into that part of the conversation. So, you know, with these public speaking skills, you're at a lectern, you know, and it scales in regards to the type of people that are in front of you. It could be two or three people in a small environment, but then it scales up to an auditorium full of people. It will do things like track your vocal pitch. The speed of what the things you're saying will actually translate the words you're saying in, and, and then provide you with feedback to say too many ums and ahs. You, I could certainly use that right now. It's probably telling you right now that I'm, I'm talking too quickly. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I can use it too, honestly, as a host. Yeah, <laughs> I need that.
1: <laughs> yeah, there are already um, products coming out to market that are addressing these specific needs as well, and that's only going to increase over time.
0: No, I can imagine so. My my only concern when it comes to VR, and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this, is that when it comes to like um, video games, World of Warcraft, League of Legends, or um, I think Second Life, I'm not a gamer and I haven't been since I was a, a teenager. However, I was a teenager with an Xbox and I can honestly say I know how addictive gaming can be. With the extra level of virtual reality and making it so much more immersive, Do you think that there is a chance that that virtual reality could exacerbate the addictive qualities of video games?
1: Yes, absolutely. But I guess, you know, like uh, this is a common question that gets asked. Uh, are we going to lose people more? There's always the argument that there's a utopian and a dystopian alternative to every type of technology. And that's happened since the dawn of time. When we first invented fire, it was used to cook food, but it was also used to destroy things. Same with the internet, same with every other technology we've come up with. So there's no doubt that more immersive worlds are going to further enhance that level of addictiveness. But at the same time, it's going to be how you use it. And certainly we're focusing on using it for the right reasons. So we're going to take the best of those game, mechanics and interaction design and creating these immersive cinematic universes and use that for improving learning meditation and healing uh, awareness to assist with productivity and collaboration so the same type of addictiveness that comes with this type of level of interaction and immediate feedback can be applied to very practical and useful applications not just just
0: gaming it seems like that's the case with a lot of emerging technology and i I come into a lot of these episodes having preconceptions of thinking, oh, this technology is good or this technology will be bad, when actually it's a tool like any other technology. And I've seen that now. I did an episode on the dark web and I went into that thinking like, oh, it's just for criminals, it's just for illegal things and stuff. And I actually found out um, both the experts I spoke to were like, no, actually, there's good and bad, like the normal internet. And then I've also spoken to um, psychologists about the use of social media, and they're like, well, no, it's obviously not all bad. You just know how and when to use it. And that seems like the main thing here, like a tech literate society that understands how and when to use that technology is the best defense against the negative use of technology. VR is no different.
1: Yeah, that's right. As human beings, we're naturally fearful of things we don't know. I mean, it's just baked into, it's wired into our brains. So in the the same way that your parents are scared of the internet, I think the fact that human beings are naturally fearful is wired into our brain. So that's always how we approach new technology. If we don't know anything about it, we're inherently skeptical or scared about it until we're proven otherwise. So, you know, we've seen that a lot even in the VR world. In, In the early days, we used to do a lot of demos, a lot of demonstrations because people didn't know what it was. And when someone puts on the headset, everyone else in the room used to get out their phones and take photos and almost laugh at the person with the headset on with some level of glee, which was actually kind of disgusting when you sort of see how human beings behave like that. Any other chance to sort of mock or degrade someone has presented itself, they'll take it. But what we've seen is that's changed over the years. Not only are we giving less demonstrations, people are far more comfortable about it. People are seeing it being used in a practical sense so they can understand it. When people try VR for the first time, they understand it and the world opens up for them. And all that fear and that sense of looking clumsy with a headset on, all completely dissipates. There's a common saying in VR that there's two types of people, those that believe it's going to change the world forever, and those who haven't tried it yet. So there's a natural sense of fear about these new types of technologies. You could say the same for artificial intelligence as well as anything else, but as we get to know it and it becomes more integrated in society around us, the more accepting people are, and then we can actually start to get past that fear and shock value and actually use it as as a tool
0: and netflix aside like uh you mentioned earlier what are you really looking forward to seeing when it comes to the advancement of virtual reality in society
1: yeah so we see this this whole space of vr ar mr xr all the different r's as kind of being spatial computing you know this is an idea that there's a, a an alternative layer of reality that will exist over our, our common space we'll be able to sort of dip in and out of it with much greater frequency frequency than we do at the moment
0: what are those sorry hmm. what are they yeah. what am um, I'm I'm a complete novice and I have no idea what those terms mean
1: <laughs> ah great fantastic Well, most people know what vr is vr yep. is when you know you'll put on a headset Your eyes are completely consumed with a different vision, and therefore, you can be transported to an entirely different location. We can simulate any environment, full convincing. Augmented reality is when we're applying a digital layer over our existing reality. So a common Mm -hmm. use case would be holding up our phone with the camera, and other digital information is tracked to a real estate sign giving us information about the world around Mm -hmm. us. So that's an augmented layer on top of reality. Mixed reality Mm -hmm. is somewhere that blends those two things together, but what it means is physical objects can have a different life of their own. So a wooden block in a virtual reality sense, if I reach out and pick up that wooden block, if the headset knows what to do with that, that wooden block might become a gun, it might become a computer, it might become a sword or a book. So physical environments actually can start to have virtual properties associated with them as well, which change their meaning. So that's mixed reality. And then I guess extended reality is an umbrella term that's been more widely used these days that summarizes all of those technologies. So extended reality covers VR AR and, and MR. And I guess spatial computing is another term that's being uh used to I guess describe this digital layer over the top of our physical layer that we were able to sort of dip in and out of with far more frequency. So we won't tend to use terms like VR and AR and all those R's in the future in the same way that we don't talk about dial up versus broadband or the information superhighway.
0: It's a good analogy. But yeah,
1: we'll be able to dip in and out of these worlds with far greater speed and we won't even think about it. So in the same way we used to think about dial up, a physical thing we had to do, plug in a phone, wait for the screeching to stop, you know, it was a very physical and labored thing we had to do to get online. And we had to manage our time and our performance and how we downloaded things. But now Wi-Fi and 4G is everywhere. We don't think anything of it. It's like oxygen. And so that's what's going to happen with spatial computing. And the second part of that is this shift away from screens. So at the moment, we have smartphones, TV screens, everything is in a you know, a box of some form or a window in which we receive this information. But with spatial computing, we have no need for screens anymore. We will effectively have information presented to us in any number of different sort of formats whether that's a video, as we can sort of understand now, or will it be a hologram of something? Will it be spatial information that is interacting behind the scenes and tapping into our larger data pool, working with artificial intelligence and other sort of social life forms to create an experience that really blends those two things together? Someone like Apple, who are believed to be working on AR glasses, they're probably one of the best positioned companies in the world to create this sense of spatial computing because all the hardware – would exist in our pocket in the phone. But we won't need to look at the screen anymore. We'll have glasses or some form of lenses that will be able to project and adapt to present the information to us when we need it. So we won't need to have screens as we as we know them today. So that, for me, is kind of what's really interesting is how all these technologies like 5G and artificial intelligence and the social come together along with the technology being a not a deliberate thing we do. It's just something that accompanies us in our... In our daily life so completely contextual information presented to us when we need to interacting and collaborating with people all around the world but feeling as if we're there with them in a very heightened sense of telepresence. that for me i think is the most exciting way the technology is all going to come together
0: a lack of screens i think that sounds excellent <laughs> i don't know about you but personally from being in front of screens all day my eyesight is deteriorating Rapidly, I have a special um, <laughs> plugin that tells me to stare away from the screen every fifteen minutes. Do you think that these realities will um, be better for our eyesight, and I won't have to have these plugins anymore if I'm using different realities?
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Ideally, it'll get down to the point where I mean, where we've got bulky headsets, we've got screens at the moment. We'll have bulky headsets as the next step. Then we'll move to some form of glasses or head-mounted lenses that'll be more commonplace then it's on a contact lens, then it's potentially direct input into the brain. Um, some form of neurosensors that I think that the various companies are working on. So we won't really need our eyes in the same way that we have before. We'll be able to get the same level of stimulation and potentially trick the rest of our body into believing that whatever is being transmitted to us is, is real.
0: I can't wait. <laughs> that is gonna be good. That'll be excellent. Then just hundred percent focus. Out of curiosity, do you use, do you use Reddit at all? I do. Yes. Have you ever seen a subreddit called VR to ER? <laughs> no, I haven't. No. What's that about? <laughs> it's very funny. It's basically exactly as it says VR to ER and it's just people filming or being filmed while using VR and it ends catastrophically and terribly. So <laughs> it's it's quite entertaining. Oh, right. <laughs> but um, okay. yeah, you definitely need to check that out. <laughs> that is all my questions for today. And I have to say I have learned a, a lot, Kane. Oh, fantastic. Unless there's anything else to if people do want to follow you or learn more about your work how can they follow you
1: well we're we're available at uh, startvr.co that's our Twitter handle and our LinkedIn handle and our Instagram handle and all the different handles that's best place to get in contact with us Uh, some of our work Mm -hmm. is available in in stores whether that's the Oculus Store and Steam if you're interested in our uh, learning products I would suggest reach out to us directly Uh, So K-A-I-N at startvr.co. But if you're also interested in checking out some of our interactive cinematic learning experiences, two I'd really highly recommend would be Atlas Obscura, which is available on the Oculus Go. And that's uh, three episodes of self-paced interactive travel to some of the most fascinating places you go to in the world. And that was a collaboration with Atlas Obscura, the the travel brand. And the other piece is Awake, uh, episode one. And that's only available on very high-end machines. That's a 20-minute um, highly immersive film that uses volumetric performance capture to create holograms of two amazing human performances. It's uh, a bit of a mind trip about uh, a character that changes reality through um, through the power of his mind. <laughs> I think you'll like that one, Sam, uh, a fair bit as well. That's called Awake, and there's not many experiences around like that, and that's kind of a very good example of what we're talking about with – really highly immersive cinematic uh, vr storytelling
0: nice yeah if you can send me a link or any of that information and i'll um i'll add it to to the sociable our website as well so that our listeners can can go straight to that and i'd love to check it out personally i say i always say at the end of an episode well i'm really looking forward to seeing this technology or i'm looking forward to seeing this develop but i genuinely 100 percent mean it perhaps more than any other episode in this one because this sounds bloody awesome. <laughs> it does. Oh,
1: that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic.
0: Enjoy the rest of your Friday and have a great weekend, Kane.
1: Thank you. You too. Have a
0: beer. <laughs> Will do. Bye, bye bye.
1: Weird Wide Web.
0: A study by Microsoft posted on their blog claims that 42% of teenagers in 25 countries say they have a problem with their parents posting about them on social media. Of that sum, 11% say it's a big problem, 14% say it's of medium concern, and 17% consider it a small issue. So frequently we talk about parents fearing for their children on social media, now it seems to be the other way around. I guess no one's safe. That's our show, thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Spotify or subscribe to us on YouTube, or you can go to sociable.co to subscribe to our newsletter to constantly stay up to date. Have a great day, take care.